When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Relay Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DiGorio. For today's podcast, I'm going to be doing my 31 Days of Horror review. For tonight's podcast, I'm going to be doing the review for 1993's Hocus Pocus. And then I'm going to be doing my little thing about Jennifer Aniston, about why she doesn't like Marvel movies. And then I'm going to be doing the whole entire casting choice for Zoe Kravitz for The Batman. And then I'm going to be doing a non-spoiler review for Raising Dion. Now, I did a little small segment last night on Raising Dion, but now this is actually going to be my full review of the show. I watched the whole entire thing in its entirety, and I really enjoyed it, but it's still going to be a non-spoiler review for the whole entire show. So anyway, sit back, relax, and let's go on ahead and get into this review for Hocus Pocus. Now, Hocus Pocus came out in 1993. I was actually eight years old when I saw this movie. I was actually in the movie theater in in the summertime in Massachusetts to go and see this movie. Now, what I want to go ahead and point out first is the fact that, you know, everybody was always complaining that this movie isn't going to get a sequel. It's going to get a TV sequel instead. And you know what? When I was little and everything, and plus whenever I started growing up, I was thinking to myself, well... I thought it deserved a sequel. I thought that it actually deserved a lot more than what it got because I figured that it would actually make bank because especially when you have dealing with little kids like me that would actually go out and want to see this movie and that's just not the case because, get this, the movie budget for that time was a $28 million budget. The box office took in $39.5 million. Take a third away from that because you have to look at uh, PR departments, you also have to look at studios, and then the rest goes over to the movie theater. So, after everything is split down, you wind up with a $13 million grossing, and that's just not enough to even make its budget. That's not enough to actually say, look, there's enough to make another movie. I know that sucks, but it winded up becoming a cult classic anyways because of the fact that it has a 90s nostalgia to it. We all grew up with Hocus Pocus, with Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and, you know, I really enjoyed the humor in this movie. But anyways, if you don't know what Hocus Pocus is about, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little rundown on what the movie is actually about. Even though I have a feeling that you guys actually know what it's about. Because it ta- and because they actually play this on ABC Family or some of the other family shows and stuff like that. Even on Disney probably. But I'm still going to get into it, so let's go on ahead. So... The movie starts off at Salem, Massachusetts on October 31st, 1693, where the Sanderson sisters, uh, Winifred, Sarah, and Mary, they cast a spell on Banks' sister, and they named Emily, and they try to observe her youth. In an attempt to try and save Emily, Banks winds up becoming a cat, and then the Sanderson sisters winds up getting hung for kidnapping, 
and also for witchcraft. And then nobody knows whatever happened to Binks. Binks pretty much disappeared on the face of the earth when it comes down to in 1693. And now we go on and fast forward 300, 300 years later with it being in 1993 in Salem, Massachusetts. And on that night, Max Denison moves into Salem and, tr and is trying to fit into the new school and on that Halloween night is pushed into taking his little sister trick-or-treating. Allison, Max's high school crush, mentions that her family owns the Sanderson's Cottage as a museum. Max tries to impress Allison and goes into the co cottage, and he lights the candle and accidentally resurrects the witches, and now they are on the run from the Sanderson sisters, and it's up to them to save the children from having their youth sucked out of them. So, what I loved about this movie is the fact that the chemistry with the three sisters actually worked. Sarah Jessica Parker and Bette Midler. And you know what? I actually forgot the third actress's name. But anyways, I really thought the chemistry between all of them were really great and very spot on. And then whenever they get resurrected, they're not used to seeing gravel roads and everything. And they're over there going, what's this witchcraft? They're over there tapping their foot. They're wondering what gravel is. Then they're over there going, I smell children, and the whole entire thing actually works. And I think that it could actually work in today's time. They would just have to um, make it a little bit more for this generation, which they're actually doing for the TV show, for the TV movie adaption. But I wish that they would actually make it a big screen adaption. But anyways, what I want to say is this. The chemistry with them works. The chemistry between Max and... His sister works out very well. You can actually tell their brother and sister, in a sense, whenever you're dealing with these characters. Then Binks is also in this, too. He's he's the cat that, the guy that turned into a cat because of the Sanderson sisters. And they're all on a mission to try and save Halloween. And you're actually believing the fact that these witches are on the, are keeping them on the run. And... It's just non-stop laughing. This thing is a perfect blend of comedy and a little bit of horror mixed into it, into it together. But it's still a family movie. And then also, too, the zombie that's in this thing, too, is even fu is funny. Then my favorite part is whenever one of the Sanderson sisters, the three Sanderson sisters, go into this house. And Penny Marshall is there. And the guy, her husband's dressed up as Satan. And... And they're worshipping him. They're bowing down to him and everything. And the guy's just eating it up. And he thinks that these are just girls who are trick-or-treating and just being goofy or whatever. And he looks over to Penny and everything. He goes, they call me their master. And then Penny Marshall goes on ahead. Wait until you see, hear what I have to call you. That was a perfect line in the movie. I cracked up laughing. I still crack up laughing from that line. Then also, too, the other witch watching the TV with the little baby. If you don't remember this 90s commercial, whatever, the little baby with the walker, that has a little bit of nostalgia feel to it because I actually remember that commercial. And then also, too, you also have these other bullies in the school, too. One's named Ice Pick, I believe. And he also, and he has his thing kind of like a vanilla ice kind of uh, haircut and everything, and they think that Max is weird. They're the ones who are the weird ones, in my opinion, because of the fact that, yeah, they lived there for a long time, and, you know, Max is actually trying to fit in because he comes from Hollywood, and these two goobers and everything are not what they're all cracked up to be anyways. They're just, they're very one-dimensional characters that don't really do anything, but the whole fact is that you actually know that they're bullies. They're actually the, they're actually the ones who 
winds up giving Max a living hell. But, you know, I really thought the chemistry works with all these characters. I thought the flow of it, the humor of it was really good. I, as a matter of fact, I watched this almost every Halloween. And I cannot wait to actually watch it again before Halloween. Because I really love watching this movie. As a matter of fact, I watched this tonight. And then after that, I'm probably going to follow it up again, watching it another time. But the humor works for it. I really enjoyed it. And I think that you guys will too, especially if you're looking for a movie that brings the families together and everything and just wants to watch a movie that doesn't have a lot of gore, doesn't have any violence in it, and just want to have a good time with your kids without having to worry about any nudity or anything because this is a Disney movie and you can actually play it safe with some Disney films where you don't have to worry about all that. So if you're looking for a good comedy, good little horror type of flavor to it and has a little bit of comedy into it, Check out Hocus Pocus. I think you guys are going to love it. A lot of people are like, well, that movie is overrated. I don't get the point. For us as adults, and I don't have kids, but as us as adults, we can actually have that 90s nostalgia and have those memories of us going to the movie theater or our parents renting it from a video store to show us this movie and falling in love with it and then showing it to another generation of kids, our kids, and be like, look, I actually saw this movie when I was in, when I was a little, and maybe you might actually enjoy it too. So tell me what you guys think at the when you guys watch it. And I think they're gonna wind up falling in love with this movie because of the fact that who doesn't like witches? But I think that the humor in it still works for today. I think the youth of today are really gonna end up cracking up over it. I think little kids will still wind up liking it. So tell me what you guys think about Hocus Pocus. Does it still fall into your favorite category of 1993? And do you still show it to your kids today? I would like to actually know. So I'm going to have a link, like I always do, allowing you guys to send me in messages through voicemails and stuff like that, questions or anything like that about the show. I'm going to have that in the descriptions. So now I'm going to talk about Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston actually went on record today and said she doesn't like Marvel movies. She says that you're seeing what uh, what's available out is out there and it's just diminishing and diminishing in terms of its big Marvel movies or things that I'm not just asked to do or really interested in living in a green screen. She played in movies like Horrible Bosses, Where the Millers, Bruce Almighty, also known for The Breakup and Murder Mystery, which is also that Netflix movie with Adam Sandler and another Adam Sandler movie called Just Go With It in the movie Bounty Hunter. And she also played in a couple other movies like Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg. Some of these movies actually had zero to none or very little CGI when you're looking at it. But here's the thing. Opinions are like buttholes. Everybody has one. Everybody, these movies are not for everybody. But here's the thing. If you don't really like something or whatever, you can always keep your opinions to yourself. You don't really have to announce the fact that you don't like these movies. But let's look at this. I can actually respect Mars Scorsese's uh, opinion over Jennifer Aniston's opinion because of the fact that he has a lot. Look at his track record when you look at The Departed, when you look at other uh, like The Goodfellas, when you look at Casino, when you look at those movies. His track record is very good compared to Jennifer Aniston. Even though he actually said that they're like theme park rides. And you know what? We all love theme park rides. Who doesn't like a theme park ride where you can actually ride around in, 
in a park and have a good time. And you know what? Marvel movies are enjoyable. You can actually stuff your face with popcorn and enjoy the movies and everything. Even though you actually have to pay attention to each and every single thing that's going on in the movie. But you can still have a good time stuffing popcorn enjoying a good entertainment film without having to actually take anything seriously. And Jennifer Aniston just doesn't get it. She doesn't understand the concept of why people are gravitating towards this thing. Now, I'm going to actually admit to something like this, though. People do not want to see original movies that much anymore, and here's why. It's because of the fact that people are used to certain characters. They're used to seeing these characters every single time when they watch a Marvel movie. So therefore they know what they're getting versus something that they don't they're not get, uh, they're not seeing. And you know, I love small independent projects. I love small indie films and stuff like that. And I love checking out different things. And I think everybody else loves original movies as well. I really do. But the originality and everything else too is fading away and these bigger blockbuster movies are what's eating up everything they're all they're hollywood's always looking for big franchises over small indie projects and it's actually harder for smaller independent projects to actually make it into the big screen that's why we have they actually have to do a lot of self-promotions that's why they also have to go in with netflix amazon streaming services and other streaming services just to help promote and get their reputation up because of the fact that bigger blockbusters are actually eating up the smaller projects. And, you know, I think that, you know, I think if we wind up telling the movie theaters, look, I saw this preview to the small indie project. Can you go on ahead and put this at the movies? Sometimes they'll actually go on ahead and say yes, because positive word of mouth will get around. It's like, you know what, I think I might want to check that out. Like, for instance, the Peanut Butter uh, Falcon came out and everything. Nobody even saw that movie or anything. I was actually going to go see it, but some stuff actually happened. But that movie looked like it was going to be so good. Shia, Shia LaBeouf is acting his butt off now. I used to call him Shia LaDouche La or Shia LaBoots. And he's just turning his whole entire career totally around. And I cannot wait to actually rent that on DVD or Blu-ray. But, like I said, Jennifer Aniston and Martin Scorsese has every right to say what they want to say. Opinions are like buttholes. Either you can ignore them or you don't have to go on ahead and say, well, how dare you go ahead and make fun of our movie. Let them talk whatever they want to talk. Love what you love and appreciate what you love. If you love Marvel movies, love Marvel movies. If you don't like Marvel movies, don't like Marvel movies. Don't like comic book movies, don't like comic book movies. No one's forcing you to like anything that you don't want to like. Or anything. So don't let this news and everything else around you and everything be so negative. And don't be negative towards people that have different opinions of you. Of that certain movie. Because it may not be for them. Movies are all subjective. And it cannot be measured. And for for people to go on ahead and say, well, that movie sucked. And not give a reason to it. No. I like actually knowing why somebody didn't like something. What didn't work for them and stuff like that. Versus, that movie sucked. Well, why did it suck? And I always say this. If you don't explain why something sucked or why you didn't like it, you're pretty much like a five-year-old at a keyboard. Because you're not giving a proper analysis on why you don't like certain things. And like I said, you don't have to go into this whole entire thing bashing Jennifer Aniston for not liking Marvel movies or Martin Scorsese for not liking Marvel, DC, or comic book movies. Hey, if they like what they like and they don't like 
Marvel movies, hey, let them don't like it. Don't let them, if they don't want to appreciate it, they don't want to appreciate it. You can't make them appreciate it by threatening them online, bullying them online, or making fun of them or anything like that. They have every right to actually speak out on what they like and don't like, just like we do. So, you know, next time when you say, well, I have freedom of speech. Well, think about what you're saying to that person before you actually act on it. Otherwise, your freedom of speech is hurting somebody else. That's how I'm viewing it. But, you know, I think that we can all be better people if we just think about things before we actually say it and act before we do them. Because I was always taught, if you don't have anything better to say, keep your mouth shut. So, with that, with that little note, let's go on ahead and talk about Zoe, Zoe Kravitz, cast as, as Catwoman. To me, I thought this was very outside-the-box kind of casting. Because I was not even expecting Zoe Kravitz to be Catwoman at all. To be honest with you, I was expecting Rihanna or somewhere along that. Or maybe Zoe Zadana. I was expecting... Somewhere around that caliber. But to be honest with you, I haven't seen Zoe Kravitz actually act in any of the stuff that they actually mentioned. And I actually want to check out some of the stuff that she's actually acted in. But as far as her body type, as far as her... It looks like that she's going to have a little bit of a more snarky attitude with Catwoman just based on her looks and everything. And you know what? I like the fact that they actually casted her as... Catwoman, because I think that she can actually be a little bit snarky with Bruce and Batman, be a little bit flirtatious, be a little bit sexual, sexual too with him, just like Catwoman is. I think Zoe Kravitz is actually a good actress to actually choose from, because like I said, this is very outside the box thinking. I was not expecting that. And, you know, I don't know who Jonah Hill's going to be playing in this Batman movie. I do not know what this Batman movie is going to look like, what Matt Reeves casting, um, uh, casting the dude from Twilight, but, you know, I'm all for trying, trying this out, just to see if it's gonna work, Robert Pattinson is the guy's name that I'm thinking of, but, you know, I tried watching his films, and they never really got me, so I'm hoping that I'm putting all my negativity aside, I'm putting everything aside, even the part where he's even gonna be, when he played that sparkly vampire guy, Edward, I'm putting that aside as well. So whenever I do go see this movie, all my negative, all my negatives will be checked at the door, and I can view this film for what it is, rather than me dictating it over the fact of what I saw over periods of time, and also on the movies that he was actually in. But anyways, this is about the casting of Zoe, uh, Zoe Kravitz, and I have to, like I said, this is a fantastic casting choice. I'm probably going to end up trying to watch some of her stuff because I really am interested in, interested her in her as an actress. So, I'm, I'm really interested on how they're going to actually do this thing with the Batman movie. So, there's that. And now I'm going to talk about Raising Dion. Now, I did a little bit of a small review on it last night. And I want to touch back on, on it again. And in case you missed last night's segment or anything or don't want to click on last night's segment of what that show is about. It's about a single mother who must hide her young son's superpowers from exploitations while investigating their origins and her husband's death. And, you know, even though I was only on episode four, that thing was like a roller coaster ride all the way through it. And then you're also wondering what happened to her husband, what caused this whole entire superpower thing to happen, what 
what what was the story behind that? Why is Michael B. Jordan not there with them as a family anymore? Why is he dead? Why is Dion having these superpowers? And then I even said this too. I even like the character of Pat. Pat seemed to, was like one of my favorite characters. He's John Ritter's uh, son. But I always felt like there was like something more to him. And there's a bunch of twists and turns whenever you're dealing with that one character that I'm not even going to get into. But all I'm going to say is it's very interesting. And then when you think that the government has the big baddie or whatever, it's I'm going to tell you what. It's going to do a whole entire 360 on you by the time you get over to episode 7. Because of the fact there's just so much stuff that you can actually chew on. And everything, and enjoy this film, not this film, but this whole entire TV series that Netflix has actually brought us. And it's an original movie that's not even based off of a comic book. You're wondering how is Dion going to take down this big old huge crooked man. That's what he calls him as a crooked man. When I think of crooked man, I think of the Conjuring movie. But crooked man has these powers to actually manipulate electricity. And of course, uh, electricity can actually be manipulated and carried on through another source later on like what i mentioned before with the movie shocker but you know i love the fact that you know you're on the edge of your seat this whole entire entire time you're wondering how dion's going to deal with this whole entire thing because he's actually dealing with the fact that he doesn't have that many friends in the school system the school system pretty much sucks because the teachers are actually against him because of the fact he's a new kid and don't really know him so therefore they're going to stick up for the kids that are originally there in the first place and then too i'm rooting for pat and his mom to actually get together and then I'm also rooting for uh, Dion's mother to get with the science teacher. And none of that... Well, here's the thing. I feel I thought that the chemistry actually worked with the science teacher. Same thing with Pat. But it does a, another 360 where it goes in the opposite direction of that. It's not your typical cliche love story where you think that this is the way it's going to go down. And it goes down in a different way than it actually does. And let me just tell you this. Pat's character changes through the through the first season and it's just something that I haven't seen before in a Netflix show where they completely turn and twist the character around to where it's definitely different than what where the character first started off with especially in the first season usually I'll wait until at least the second season to see some type of transformation but there's where he's but here's the thing with Pat he's slowly transforming into somebody that is totally off the rails, totally different than what we got in the first couple of episodes and everything. But I love the actor. I love the character of Pat. I really enjoyed seeing the chemistry with Dion and his mother, the drama between that, her her having to try and hide him from the government and also, too, trying to hide his superpowers from the public and also try and train him on how to use his powers because his powers are out of control and he doesn't even know how to control them or anything like that. So he needs some type of proper guidance to actually learn how to handle his powers. And Netflix did a fantastic job with this thing. Like I said, I cannot applaud them e- e- even more for this. Because Raising Dion is probably going to be one of my favorite shows that I'm going to wind up binging later on. Whenever they do a second season. Because I believe they are going to do a second season for Raising Dion. And I actually need a little bit more filler whenever season uh, 4 of Stranger Things is done. And I think I found my new show for when Stranger Things is done. 
And I cannot wait to see what they have in store for us for the second season. Like I said, the comedy, the action, the drama, everything in this whole entire Netflix show is just perfectly well executed, perfectly well done, perfectly well written. And it hits you with feels and everything with Michael B. Jordan's character. It hits you with feels because of the fact that you have Dion's mother's missing Michael B. Jordan. You have all types of emotions and stuff like that. The emotional attachment to characters in the show and everything. And it hits you right where where you need. So, that's going to do it for me for this podcast for tonight. I'm going to have another podcast tomorrow for my 31 Days of Horror. I hope you guys tune in for that. As always, I'm going to end up having the voicemail uh, description and everything in the description box to where you can actually send me in some voicemail messages, some questions that you might have. And, you know, as always, please share this podcast with other people so that way they can enjoy it too and have discussions among yourselves on some stuff that I actually talked about. So, anyways, until, for, until next time. Bye-bye.